Pray with me. You know, God, there's a very honest song. Thank you for um, thank, thank you for how it points us to the fact that a lot of times life hurts. A lot of times everybody hurts. And sometimes in the midst of our pain and the painful side of life, we we um, we can't find you. We don't seem to hear you. Uh, we don't seem to feel your presence. And sometimes we wonder, why should I sing? So today, as we study your word and throughout the rest of the summer, as we continue to study this great topic of how to live and walk with Christ in a world in which we hurt and in which we need hope. I pray that today you would continue to teach us that we do indeed have a reason to sing. Uh, but it may not come from the feelings. It may come from our faith. So teach us about our faith and give us that reason in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Kind of weak. Good morning. Hey, by the way, can I make a little update on something? Uh, some of you have been probably knowing that we're in the midst of remodeling this space, uh, but we haven't started yet, but it's coming in August. And one of the things a lot of people ask me is, hey, Dale, are we ever going to kind of like make it more comfortable in here? Uh, answer to that is yes. Uh, we're going to get a new ventilation system uh, that will enhance the ability to pack this place out and worship even when the Santa Anas come. Amen? Yeah. But, you know, it's a small thing to get a little warm to study the Word of God. So, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. But I know it is kind of warm in here, so appreciate uh, you knowing that we are working on a solution. And by September, it should be reality. So pray for that and, and continue to uh, pray for our facilities team. They're hard at work on that. Philippians, you can open actually to Philippians chapter one, but we're going to spend most of our time in Philippians chapter four. We're not going to give you a reason to sing. I want to give you 14 reasons to sing. Now, that's kind of overload. But this is one of the most truth filled, hope filled passages in the entire Bible. Philippians chapter 4 and the book of Philippians is all about what I call the journey toward joy whenever life hurts. Pray with me again. Father, I really need to ask you to take this and unpack it for us. Help us to discover the truth of your word, the richness of Philippians 4, and the reasons, the multiple reasons we have to have hope and joy and peace in the midst of pain. So I pray that you do that, because I can't do that without you, in Christ's name. Amen. You know, as you open to Philippians, before we go there, let me share a story with you that hopefully will kind of frame the morning for us. It's a story that I um, found on the Internet, so therefore it must be true. But whether it's true or not, it's a great parable or a great metaphor or a great true story. I'd like to think it's true goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a farmer who had an old mule. He loved his old mule. The mule had served him for many years, served him well, plowed his fields, carried his loads. But the mule got old and the mule fell into a deep, dry well that had long ago dried up. 
in the darkness and the depth of that deep, dry well, he could hear the old mule uh, crying loudly. And hearing that mule cry in pain, the farmer came over and assessed the situation. He tried to think of every way he could possibly get the old mule out of the well. But he couldn't think of anything. The well was deep. The mule was heavy. He knew it would be difficult, if not impossible, to lift the animal out. He knew the animal was suffering, so he decided to solve two problems with one solution. Because the mule was old and the well was dry, the farmer decided to bury the animal in the well. This way he could solve two problems, put the mule out of his misery, and fill up his well with dirt. Knowing he couldn't do it alone because he knew if he just threw a shovel of dirt in there, he would never get that mule buried, at least not quick enough. And he wanted to do it quick and snuff out his life quick. So he gathered all of his neighbors, told them to bring their shovels. They gathered around the well and they all began to dig. They all agreed this was the only solution. So they began to just throw dirt into the well, into the darkness of the well. And they couldn't see the old mule, but they could hear him cry. And, and they could hear the dirt as it would thud onto the back of the, of the, of the old mule. And, 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 and this is what began to happen. Shovelful after shovelful of dirt was being thrown onto the mule's back. The mule first was irritated, in fact, hysterical. And then all of a sudden, the mule got an idea, and the mule said to himself, mules talk to themselves a lot. Now, how the author of this story knows that the mule did this, I have no idea. But let's go with it, okay? So he heard that the mule had an idea. So the mule, every time a shovelful would land on his back, the mule would shake it off and step up with his feet. He would shake it off and step up. Well, this frustrated the farmers because they could tell they weren't making progress burying the mule. And every once in a while, they'd look down in there and they'd see he's still not under dirt, you know. So they started shoveling even faster and harder and throwing more dirt onto the mule. And as they did, all of a sudden, the mule began to shake it off and step up, shake it off and step up. Shovel full after shovel full fell, the mule would shake it off and step up. A few hours later, exhausted and dirty. But very alive, that mule shook it off and stepped out of the well and walked through the crowd back to the field. Now, kind of a fun story. Do you like this? I like that story. You know, whether you're a mule fan or not, you got to remember, that is one tough mule. One tough mule. You know, the reality is when I, when I read that story, I kind of thought, you know something, everybody Hurts. Dirt happens. <laughs> okay? It does. Dirt hits all of us on the back. It's part of life. For some, it's just a shovel full once a week or so. You maybe get a little shovel full of dirt, gets on you, gets your hair dirty, you dust it off, take a shower, you're done. For others, you feel like you got an endless barrage of dirt. The dirt, the dirty side of life, the painful side of life. Hitting you. The question is, what is it that we can do in our Christian lives to shake it off and step up? What is it that God wants us to do? Not that we can solve all of our own problems. We know that Christ has got to be the center of the solution. But yet when I go to Philippians, what I find in Philippians 4 are some practical instructions, some simple commands from God that really describe to me what it means to shake it off and step up whenever life is throwing you some dirt. 
Okay, so let's look at it together. I've actually made it easy on you today because I know I will not have time to cover all 14 of these. But in chapter four of Philippians, verses one to 20, in 20 short verses, there are at least 14 identifiable action steps that you can take to shake it off and step up whenever you're being hit with pain. All right. So we're going to look at as many of them as we can, but I know I won't cover them all. So I've typed them out. I've given you the references. So this week, I want to really challenge you to study through these, reflect on these as you're memorizing the memory cards from last week, by the way. Keep at that and see if God doesn't teach you how to shake it off and step up. Why go to Philippians? Let me give you a little context. Philippians is a great book to study on this topic because the theme of Philippians really is how to experience joy, not in the easy times, but the tough times in life. In fact, if you look at chapter one, look at chapter one with me first. Chapter one, verse 13. Paul writes this. He says, I want you to know, verse 12, I want you to know of my circumstances, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment. My imprisonment for the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian or Roman guard and to everyone else. In other words, Paul begins by pointing out that he's writing this story. He's writing this epistle, the theme of which is how to experience joy from jail. Okay, so he is imprisoned. He has lost his freedom. And he says, hey, I'm in jail. But guess what? Don't lose your joy. In fact, he talks often in chapters one and two about wanting them not to lose their joy. And in fact, I love the crescendo that it hits in chapter two, verse 17. Look at that verse with me. 217. He says, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. What's he mean by that? What's it mean to be poured out as a drink offering? What's he envisioning? Answer. Talk to me. Death. Exactly. He's, that's a phrase that he would use to describe even if my life is being taken from me, even if I may die here, even if I may be poured out as an offering for Christ to the, you know, and the gospel, even if I lose my life here in jail. So he wasn't saying, hey, I know God's going to answer my prayer. He's going to let me out of jail, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't say that. He says, even if I die here in jail for the gospel, he says this. Now, look at it. Verse 17. Even if I die for this, I rejoice and I share my joy with you all. And you, too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. And basically you say, hey, man, let's keep the joy flowing, okay? I've heard rumors that you guys are depressed, that the leader of the movement is in prison. Guess what? Get over it. He says, I haven't lost my joy. What are you doing losing your joy? I'm the one in jail being poured out like a drink offering. So if I'm not losing my joy, I want to share my joy with you. And I want you to share some joy back with me. And let's keep it going. Now, that's the spirit of this letter. And I believe the letter is packed full of principles that reinforce the joyful life of the Christian in the midst of pain and in prison. And the reality is chapter four is kind of the action chapter. Chapter four walks through. All right. Here's what I want you to do if you want to have more joy and more peace. And he gives us this list. Now, let me give you a little caution. Some of you are going to already say, Dale, the Christian life is not about doing things. It's about being in Christ. Okay, that's going to be the very first thing we're going to do is to remember that we are in Christ. So I'm not giving you a a to do list that you can just check off 
and you'll have instant joy. Because underneath it all is your relationship with Jesus Christ. But out of that relationship with Jesus, there are things you can either do or not do, and they will be part of shaking it off and stepping up. Okay? So what is on the list? Let's look at it. Here we go. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, therefore. In other words, here's the action steps. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, you are my joy and my crown. In this way, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Stop right there. Very first tip is you've got to stand firm in Christ. You've got to stand firm in the Lord. Now, what in the world does that mean? What it means is this. It remembers, remember who you are and whose you are. This is the joy of being in Christ always. The joy of being in Christ always is remembering that in Christ you are a new creation. You are a new person. You've got new life. And you belong to him. You are safe and secure in Christ. Now, when the phrase in Christ is used in the epistles, it's used often. It's not talking about who you are when you have a good day spiritually. It's not talking about who you are when you have a bad day. It is talking about who you are in Christ, whether you have a bad day or a good day, whether you are walking close to Christ or whether you are ticked off at God and having a bad day or a bad month or a bad year. These are things that are positional truths, I call them, of who you are in Christ. And what Paul says first before anything else He says, you need to find that as a source of joy. In fact, look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We'll come back to that. But it's rejoice in the Lord. Don't rejoice in the answer to your prayers. It's not rejoice when your pain stops. He says, rejoice that you are standing firm in Christ. What does that mean? I don't have time to unpack all of it, but here's the sample. It means that you are a child of God. It means that you are a co-heir with Christ. It means that you are, uh, you are secured by His grace. It means that you abide in His love. It means that He loves you no matter how you perform. It means that His grace and His love covers your sins regardless. It means that it is unconditional, unending, never to go away grace and love of God that you are rooted in. That is what it means. He says, you need to stand firm in that when your circumstances really stink. That's number one. And if you do, joy begins to come alive. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to be doing more sermons. We're going to shift the focus of our series a bit, but we'll be doing more sermons on this whole general idea of pain. Some of you texted in questions last week, which we did not answer. Eleven of you did that. And uh, what we're going to do is every sermon over the next month or so, I'm going to answer a few more of these questions whenever they come up. So I want to try to get to every question. And if you throw me more, I'll do my best to cover some of those. Okay? but here's a question from last week. One of you asked this. What role does having a relationship with God have in helping us have joy in trials? See, this principle I just taught just answers that, that having a relationship with God changes everything. Because when I know my relationship with my Heavenly Father through Christ, under His grace, then it changes the way that I think whenever tough times come. Okay? I don't begin to think, oh my gosh, I wonder if this is because God is mad at me. I wonder if this is because God's gone away from me. I wonder if this is because God is over there and I'm moving away from Him over here. I wonder if God has turned His back, disappeared, doesn't listen. All of those questions get answered. 
by grace. So you need to understand how you are rooted and grounded. Stand firm in the Lord, meaning in what Jesus has done for you. Got it? Got it. Number two. Let's go to number two. I'm already behind. Number two is this. The joy of forgiving others. Always. I add the word always to all these. The joy of forgiving others always. In other words, the very next thing he says is this. He says, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Verse two. And I urge Erodia and I urge Sentiki to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. Okay. In other words, deal with your relational garbage. Okay. When you have relational garbage in your life, meaning you are bitter and angry at somebody who has wounded you, hurt you, you're not at harmony with the people in your life, you have less joy, more pain. True? True. So he says, look, do a check. If you have pain in your life, if you're depressed and down and bummed, take a look at your relationships to say, am I carrying around a bunch of bitterness or anger toward other people? And if so... Go, speak the truth in love, forgive them in the same way that Christ forgives you. In other words, I would give this summary statement. Live to give grace, not get even. If you live to give even, you'll never get there. People that live to get even just get deeper and deeper in relational debt. And trust those who hurt you to God and let him be their judge. What a relief. To think, I don't have to make sure everybody gets what's just. I'll let God be the source of justice. I'll be the source of grace. I'm going to give grace and let God be the judge. And when I can release people to that, it really helps me move on with life and not be dragged down and have all the pain of relational garbage. And that's kind of the one of the sources of dirt that hits us from above is broken relationships. So you can stop that type dirt with a a forgiving spirit. So there's tip number two. Tip number three is in verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. There's that word again. Again, I say rejoice. What's that all about? That's about worship. That's the joy of praising God always. The joy of praising God always. That's making worship a faith-based discipline. That's my tagline to go with this. I'll give you a tagline on each of these, okay? In other words, when I say rejoice always, it's the word always that makes it tough. So I could rewrite this verse. You know, really soften it. Rejoice when God blesses you. Rejoice every Sunday morning. Rejoice when you gather for worship. Rejoice over the goodness of God. Rejoice over the, okay, whatever. But this doesn't say that. It says rejoice what? Always. And in case you didn't get it the first time, what's he do? He says, again, I say, rejoice. So you got to read it like that. Rejoice in the Lord always. Yeah, you heard me right. Again, I'll say it again. Just flat out rejoice. You know, so what he's saying is do it as a faith-based discipline. Learn that when you are depressed, when you're even feeling kind of angry with God, Develop the discipline that, you know something, I need to step away from my pain and praise God. You say, well, wait a minute, I can't praise God for what's happening. See, it doesn't say rejoice over your pain. 
Okay, it just says rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in who he is, rejoice by focusing on God, focusing on the character of God, the goodness of God, the blessings of God. You know, focus on the person of God and and use that to stimulate worship as a lifestyle. When I'm really hurting and I'm getting blue or depressed, if I focus on what's making me bummed, I get more bummed. If I focus on God, it helps me get out of it. Okay? It's not a quick fix. It doesn't just happen instantly. I'm not saying all the pain goes away, but I'm saying this is one more of 14 different things that he says to do. Have a lifestyle known for rejoicing always. Number four. Next verse. Verse six. And he says, and be anxious for nothing. Verse six. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. With prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 6. In other words, pray more. Very, very simple principle. In other words, what he's saying in verse 6 is let anxiety be a prayer trigger. It says, don't be anxious, but instead pray more. So what he's saying is, look, you know, whenever you do get uptight, okay, getting anxious, then let that be a trigger. Maybe I should pray. You know, so often, you know, Becky and I will be having a conversation and we get on a topic that we both get kind of angry over or not each other even, but we're we're just kind of commiserating together. You ever do that? You just kind of begin to commiserate together, complain together, because I love when I'm complaining to find someone else who agrees with me. You ever do that? Yeah. And then, man, hey, let's just feed it, you know. So now we're feeding it to each other, you know, and, and then every once in a while it hits me. Okay. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication. Supplication means ask God to work. So I need to talk to God about it. So let, let, let anxiety and, and pain be a, be a prayer trigger. But then notice the next one. You've got to combine these two. Number five on my list is the joy of thanking God always. Because I, I skipped a word when I read verse six. Look at it again. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything... Uh, pray, uh, let your requests be made known to God. What did I skip? With thanksgiving. So he says, ask God for things, but do it with thanksgiving. If you leave that out, I believe prayer can be a depressing event in your life. Because here's how it goes. Christians do it all the time. It's like, okay, I've been told to ask God to solve all my problems. So I make a list of my ten worst problems. And then I say, it's time to pray through my list. And I say, God... Would you please fix this person? And God, would you please give me this that I don't have? And God, would you please change my this? And God, would you please help me to be 20 pounds lighter? And God, would you please help me to enjoy my food more? And God, would you do it at the same time? (laughs) Okay, might as well pray big. You know, so, you know, so the reality is I begin to pray through my list. God, would you fix my kids? God, would you fix my parents? God, would you? Okay. And and I begin to ask God. And these are all good things to ask for. But but at the end of the day, I say, so God, thank you that you, I have now asked you to, to fix all of these problems. And you've just rehearsed everything wrong with your life. Now, what is your spirit feeling? I think you begin to feel bummed. Like, yeah, my life really does suck, doesn't it? I mean, that's the reality, okay? Okay? So the reality is that's how you begin to feel. Now, instead, he says, when you pray about all the problems on the list, but do it with thanksgiving. What's that mean? See, the most common misunderstanding of prayer is that that means to pray and say, God, fix this, and I thank you that you're going to fix it. 
God, fix that, and I thank you that you're going to fix it. That's not what it means. Because I can tell you right now, you're going to get real frustrated with God if you think that's true. Because God often does not fix what we ask him to fix. Anybody here have a good track record that God fixes everything you ask him to fix? So why is that? And what's it mean to pray with thanksgiving? See, I think what it means to pray with thanksgiving is what the Lord Jesus talked about when he said, when you pray, pray this way. First, focus on your heavenly father. In fact, a lot of times we summarize this with this acts of prayer. We'll bring that up. That he's saying, pray the acts of prayer. Don't just pray the S, which is supplication. Pray adoration. A is for adoration. C is for confession. T is for thanksgiving. And do all of that before you ask God to do anything. And, and, and it takes discipline. Because when I get ready to pray, I'm in a hurry. And I know God. He's, you know, God's in a hurry, I think. You know, so, you know, God didn't have time for him. God's listening to everybody's prayer. So I figure I'll just cut right to what I want him to do. You know, so I start real quick. You know, I'll say, dear father, thank you for being so loving. Now, here's my list. And you start into your list. Boom, 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 boom. That's not how Jesus told us to pray. Jesus said, focus on adoring God. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. How perfect you are. Okay, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. There's submission. You know, um, you know God, I want your will to be done in my life. Period. And after that, he doesn't really ask for anything in the Lord's Prayer except... Can you give me this day my daily bread? Okay, give me one day's worth of provision and I'll be content. Now, that's a radical way to pray. Because seldom do I pray, you know, God, if you just take care of me for one day, I'm happy. Forget about the retirement fund. Forget about the IRAs. Forget about the investments. Forget about my overall income. God, one day of bread and I'll be happy. See, we've got a lot to learn about prayer. But one of the things you learn is, is you do need to ask for things. Nothing wrong with that. Pray in everything with prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. But do it with thanksgiving. Here's what I believe it means. I believe it means to thank God for the things that you can always say thank you for. Before or in the midst of asking for things. What is it you can always thank God for? When you have problems, I've given it to you in a shaded box on the bottom of your outline because I knew that I don't have time today to teach it again. I've taught this to you once before here at Seacoast. I would suggest that you memorize these 12 verses and you pray them. It's like, okay, God, before I start dumping my problems in front of you, let me let me remind myself, God, of what's true. I thank you that you are. Here's the list real quick. You're always with me. I'm your child. You proved your love at the cross. Your power is available. You can exceed my highest expectations. You understand me and my problem better than I do. You promise to supply my needs, not my wants, but my needs. Your grace is sufficient for me. You will work all things together for good. You'll use trials to produce maturity and grow me. You'll use trials to display my faith to a lost world. And your will is good and acceptable and perfect. And let me add a 13th one I left off. 
Here's the 13th one to complete the picture. And you promise me an eternity free of pain. And the and Revelation 21, 1 to 5 would be my favorite verse. Revelation 21, verses 1 to 5. You promise me an eternity free of pain. Now, see, it's see how that changes my perspective. If I pray through giving thanks for all those things and what it is, it's focused on the character of God and your relationship under the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And if you focus there and give thanks for those things and then after doing that, you will find that your attitude will be very different when you say, "Okay, now, God, I do have some problems. Would you please answer this prayer? Would you please Heal this person. Would you please fix this pain? Nothing wrong with talking to God about your problems if you first pray with thanksgiving. And I really think it changes our spirit in our prayer. And the process begins to to generate joy and peace instead of anxiety. Here's how I know it's promised. Look at verse 7. It says, if you pray this way, talking to God with thanksgiving... And the peace of God, which surpasses all human comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It will bring a sense of peace to your mind and to the heart, the control center of life, when you do this. But I think if you leave out the Thanksgiving peace, you'll get no peace. That's the deal. That's the deal. So learn to pray with thanksgiving. Number six on my list. I'll give you a few more. Number six is the next verse. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, pure, lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence or if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Okay, it means to think about these things. What he's saying is this. It's the joy of focusing on whatever is good in your life. Focusing on the good things always, thinking about them. In other words, you can't always choose your circumstances, but you can always choose your focus. What are you going to focus on? It's my choice. It's my choice to get with a friend and complain about my problems. I can even do it and sound spiritual if I say, you know, would you pray with me about these things? When in reality, you're just complaining. He says better choice is make a list of all the things that are pure, lovely, good, excellent about life and take some time to thank God for those things. Focus your mind on what is good, what you do have, not what you don't have. Number nine or number verse nine, number seven on my list, verse nine is the joy of practicing the right things. So you focus on the good things, but then go and do the right things that, again, bring joy and peace. Look at verse 9. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. See, what, 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 what do you think Paul was referring to? See, I think he was talking about practicing spiritual disciplines. Things like worship and the word and prayer and giving and serving others. These are all the types of spiritual disciplines. And he says, after you get your mind off of your problems onto what is good about your life, then 
get back to doing the things that help you grow spiritually, doing the things that keep your focus there. Okay, and and he says you just kind of imitate me. Paul says, you know, you've seen me live a lifestyle in which I spend time with God and I spend time in the Word and I spend time praying and spend time serving others, not just myself. And and yeah, do those things. And peace, the God of peace, will be with you. Now, I'm going to pull up at this point and just highlight a few of the others, and then we're going to jump to the video. So let me give you the highlights without pulling up the uh, subpoints. The joy in verse 10 of letting others help you. See, Paul had joy, but he also mentions in verse 10, he says, I thank God that when I shared with you my need, you met my needs. And there's a principle there, and that is when you engage with other people and you give them a chance to help you, their joy goes up and so does yours. But if you're so prideful that you'll never ask for help, a lot of us are willing to help but not be helped. And he says the process of being helped by others increases your joy. But we're so blasted proud we act like we got no problems, right? So be more open and share your needs with others. Let them help you and your joy goes up. Verse 11, the joy of learning contentment. Uh, the Apostle Paul says in verse 11, he says, I've learned the secret of, uh, of being content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know how to get along with humble means. That's poverty. And I know how to live in prosperity. That's OK. That's the good days. So whether I'm having a great year in business or whether I'm having the worst year of my life, I've learned that with Christ, I can be content. And contentment increases joy. See, it's often discontentment that drives a lot of our anxiety and, and a lot of our, a lot of our, uh, our um, lack of joy and peace. So learn to be content, which, by the way, leads to the next verse, verse 12, when he says, I've learned how to live on whatever God gives me. That's learning to live within your means. When you learn to live within your means, you stay out of debt. And debt is painful, so avoid it. You know, that's the reality. Um, you know, is, you know, uh, you know, debt is one of those types of pain that we self-inflict. And, you know, we don't like to admit that, but it really is. You know, there, there is some dirt that's hitting us that we're picking up the dirt and throwing it up. And then it hits us on the head. And we go, whoa, where's that come from? Hey, God, would you, God, would you get rid of that as I go out and buy my extra car and take on another lease and take on more debt than I should. And I throw it up in the air and poof, it hits me in the head and say, God, why don't you meet my needs as I throw more debt up in the air and let it hit me in the head? You know, I mean, some of this is our own sinful habits. You know, we get pretty addicted to our lifestyle here in Southern California. We want everything and we want it now. And, you know, and God says, you know, here's a real simple financial principle. You kind of take whatever God gives you. You give him the first 10% back in worship, and you, and you live off the rest. You kind of adjust to live within your means. And if you do that, how much pain would disappear? I think probably a lot. So the rest of this chapter, enjoy going through it. The joy of placing your confidence in Christ uh, is the next one. The joy of serving others first and not just yourself. Realize if you're feeling depressed, one thing I tell depressed people is find someone that you can serve. Go down to the homeless shelter and feed the poor. 
if you're if you're bummed, especially if you're between jobs and looking for a better job or out of work. The best thing you do while you're looking for another job is to sign up to feed the poor because it will help you keep your joy, even in the heartache of being underemployed or, or unemployed, which is tough. But, you know, you know in, you'll see in Philippians, Paul says, you know, thanks for your gift. I, I don't really get excited for my sake. I get excited for your sake. In other words, Paul was always thinking, how can I serve you even out of my pain? So learning to serve others, the joy of trusting God to supply all my needs. That's Philippians 4:19. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say all your wants. But he says, all my needs. See, when I have a faith that is rooted in Christ in this relationship, then I can begin to to claim these promises, put my faith in him, and suddenly joy begins to come alive. We're going to be making a shift. I'll let you study the rest of the principles this week in the five appointments with God. But we're going to be soon making a shift in the sermon series that I wanted to show you a little video clip that kind of captures the spirit of where we're going next. Because sometimes um, what you need when you hurt is hope. And sometimes you kind of feel like you can't find the hope. Watch the video. going to be shifting our focus off of everybody hurts to everybody's hope. We're going to go into some Old Testament stories beginning next week of Old Testament characters in real life who really hurt, but found hope because they found God. And, and underneath everything I've been teaching you today is a common theme. And that is when you hurt, the way that you shake it off and step up instead of getting buried by life, is by focusing on God, focusing on Christ, focusing on standing firm in the Lord, taking your focus off of your circumstances and onto Christ. And we're going to see that that was the secret in each of these stories. Next week, we're going to begin, and I want to kind of tease you to get you to make sure you're here and you bring your friends Because people say, yeah, Dale, but when do we talk about the really tough stuff? Okay, so next week we study Job. A story of extreme pain. Beyond the pain that 
anyone in this room has encountered. None of us have gone where Job went. And we're going to study the pain of not knowing what's going on. And we're going to see how God is revealed in the story. And then we'll study Abraham. And then we'll study um, Elijah. And then we'll study some others. And we're going to be talking about different examples of different kinds of pain. But the common theme is, where does God show up? Where is God revealed in the story? And I'd say today that all 14 principles on this list, it's not just a little magic checklist. If I check them all off, my pain goes away. Don't treat it like a magic list, but treat it as a list of good, healthy things that God says, you know, do this and you will discover Christ in the middle of your pain. So pray with me and then we're going to close with some worship. Father God, thank you so much that uh, you are with us even when we are in the well. And the dirt is landing on our back. And it seems endless. And it doesn't let up. And it tries to bury us. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are your children. and That you are with us even in the deepest, darkest moments of our life. So would you just in your heart right now express to Christ your trust? Would you pray and say to him, Lord Jesus, I choose you and I choose to trust you. I choose to give thanks to you for who you are and all your promises. I choose to claim your sufficiency to get me through the darkest and most painful things in my life. And I choose you knowing that you promised me someday an eternity free of pain. But in the meantime, teach us, Father, how to spiritually shake it off. And keep stepping up. In Christ's name. We worship you now. Amen.